right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. So this week's Torah portion is Shmini, and we are going to focus on kind of the second half or the second theme of the Torah portion. The first theme, which is the major theme of the Parsha, is the inauguration of the Mishkan and the passing of Nadav and Avihu, the two oldest sons of Aaron. Um, this decimated the priestly family. I mean, they started off with five Kohanim. Well, one Kohen Gadol, one high priest, and four Kohanim. And at, by the end of the day, they were at 50%. Two of the Kohanim, two of the priests, their son, their brothers, passed away. Another of you. We discussed over the last few days some of what our sages say as far as why they lost their lives or how they lost their lives and the lessons that we can learn from, from this experience. And that's certainly you know, an important uh, piece, of the, uh, you know, piece of the conversation, which we covered over the last few days. Yesterday, we talked about the aftermath of their passing, where Moses says, this is a one-time deal. This is, you know, the inauguration only happens once. This is once in history. And therefore, even though Aaron and um, Elazar and Itamar, the, the surviving members of the family, even though you guys are in a state of onan, which is a state of... Um, acute mourning, nonetheless, you cannot uh, visibly practice mourning, nor should you do the typical protocol for a Kohen when in a state of mourning, i.e. not eating of the sacrifices, but rather burning them. You should not do that. Rather, you should eat them like normal, as if normal. And then we got into the dramatic uh, conflict between Moses and his, uh, and his brother and his nephews, with regard to one of the sin offerings that was brought on that day, where they ate, where they burnt it instead of eating it, and Moses says, "Why you why'd you burn it? Why didn't you why didn't you eat? You're supposed to eat it." And essentially, the answer was that the show goes on only for those sacrifices that would only be brought on that day and never again in history. Whereas the Rosh Chodesh offering, the Rosh Chodesh sin offering, he goat that would be brought every month. Every month, it's going to be brought. So we don't need to make an exception this month. This month, we can burn it. Next month, we'll eat it. But the, the offerings that will only be brought once in history, that we have to eat. And Moses agreed, and that's the way this story ended. And that's really, it's, it's very jarring. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. We're, we're about to start a new section, uh, the new reading today. And it's, you'll see today, it's very, um, it's very strange how um, the Torah just completely switches gears as if nothing happened and talks about Completely, seemingly unrelated topic. Um, and the topic is kosher. The topic is kosher. Food that should be eaten, food that should not be eaten. It's, it, it's kind of like this, this topic could be in any Torah portion. Like It's always a good time to talk about food, you know, what, what's kosher, what's not kosher. Why in this Torah portion? So hopefully we'll, we'll explore some deeper themes as to why, you know, the connection between the first half and second half of the Parsha. But let's jump in. Let's see, let's see it inside for ourselves. And I'll let you also weigh in on this interesting theme. Hi, Ray. Welcome. It's good to have you. All right. Good, good, good. All right. Now our family is complete. We got Ray. <laughs> Love it. Okay. So Torah reading for Shemini. Uh, this is reading six. I know today's Thursday, which is five, but we did five yesterday. Today we're going to do six. Uh, yeah, I think we'll just stick with six. We should have enough, um, enough, enough to go on. It's a pretty decent-sized reading. So here we go. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 
number one. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron to say to them, God spoke to Moses and Aaron, which by the way is a little bit unusual, I must say, because usually God spoke to Moses and Moses conveyed the message here. God is speaking to Moses and Aaron. Okay, that's something to note and keep in mind. What's the message? Speak to the children of Israel saying. So he, God wants them to convey this to the people. Here's the message. These are the creatures that you may eat among all the animals on earth. In other words, these are the kosher animals that can be eaten. And the Torah now delineates something that I think we're all familiar with, the signs, indicators of a kosher animal. Here we go, number three, verse three. Any animal that has a cloven hoof that is completely split into double hooves, that's number one. And number two, which brings up its cud, that one you may eat. So what is a kosher animal? What defines a kosher animal, right? These you may eat among all the animals on earth. So what, are, what is a kosher animal? There are two signs, two simanim, two signs. Number one, split hooves. Number two, choose its cud. Those are the two signs. Any land animal, here's a rule of thumb, any land animal that has split hooves and choose its cud is a kosher animal. It can be eaten. Now, slow down. It has to go through a protocol. You have to slaughter it correctly and you have to cut out some of the fats that cannot be eaten and the Gerhanosha, the sciatic uh, nerve area. And you have to take out all the blood from, from the meat and, and you have to salt it and soak it to take to extract the blood. Okay, all that, and that the animal has to be healthy, all that good stuff. But at least you're starting off with a kosher animal and these are the signs for a kosher animal. By the way, there are many animals that fit into this category that might be a little unusual. For example, famously, a giraffe has split hooves and chews its cud. Yes, a giraffe is a kosher animal. Now you might be wondering, so why are we eating giraffe? You know what the answer is? You want to wrangle a giraffe? You wrangle a giraffe. Go for it. See how that works out for you. By the way, some people say it's because of the neck. The neck is too long. It's fine. It just gives you more area to work with for the shechita. It's actually not a problem. No, legitimately, it, it's actually not a problem at all to shecht it. But a giraffe is a very difficult animal to wrangle. You want to wrangle a giraffe? Go for it. Call a kavod. Let us know how it goes. Also, apparently, the meat of a giraffe is tough and it's not that, uh, I don't know. Not that I would know, but this is what I've heard. How, how have I possibly heard this? I don't know. I think it's written in the book somewhere. But really, it's not about the neck. The neck is more of an urban legend than anything else. The neck, it just gives you more area to, to shecht. But really, the issue is, listen, I've been to a shlachtois. You know, a shlachtois is a slaughterhouse. My grandfather was a shecher, right? So I, I've, I've been there. I've been there on the job. And it's, it's an operation. I mean, they have, there's big animals. These are very big animals. And I'm not going to get into the gory details, but there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, you got to get the animal in the right position to be shechted. It's not like, it's... In other facilities, they use guns, they use other things to end the life of an animal. When you shecht, it has to be in a very calm, in a very, the animal can't be moving, it has to be very painless procedure, it has to be done the right way. 
go ahead and try to wrangle a giraffe, how would you even do it? How are you gonna hold the head so that the neck doesn't bend? I mean, getting back to the neck, right? But it's not about the size of the neck, it's more about just the strength of the animal. Um, it's just unwieldy. But anyway, I'm just, I'm getting off topic here. I mean, it is on topic. The point is that what is a kosher animal? Anything that has split hooves and chews its cut. Let's get back and yeah. Buffalo, buffalo. Buffalo, I believe, well, is a buffalo kosher? I mean, I don't know. Does it chew its cut and has split hooves? That's a biological question. If it does, it is. Now, I know you're asking, does it? Um, have I heard of buffalo meat? I have buffalo wings. I've had yeah, buffalo yeah, wings. Yeah. No, no, but no, I'm, but that's a joke because those aren't actually, those are not from a buffalo. Yeah, Ted Montana, Montana Grill is in Atlanta and they specialize. I, it's not kosher there, I know. No, 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 one second, one second. Buffalo wings are chicken wings. They just call them buffalo yeah. wings. Yes, so that's that's like the, that's like duck sauce is not made from actual ducks. Right. <laughs> although although I once opened a thing of duck sauce and I heard some quacking. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know. I'm I'm, I'm qu I know. I'm quacking you guys up. See, so here's the point. Here's the point. Um, buffalo. I'm not sure. It's a it's straight up a biological question. I don't remember buffalo being. I don't remember. It's, it's on. It's, it is kosher. It is kosher. Yeah. There we go. Chabad knows everything. So yeah, if, if it has put hose and, and chooses cut, boom. So buffalo could theoretically be kosher. My grandfather told me that the the most um, like brute animals that he that he was involved in with shechting was like a steer, not like a steer, but a steer. I don't know why like, but yeah, a steer, steer, which is um, basically a bull, essentially. So there's no constraints. There's no like. Like, you know, like. Oh, the, oh, yeah, oh, there are constraints. Absolutely. There are constraints. Absolutely. Yeah. You get, the animal has to be still. You can't hurt the right. animal either. Hold on. You got to walk this line between. Right. You can't hurt the animal. You can't abuse the animal, God forbid. The whole point is not to hurt like the animal. Like type of things. Yeah. You, and then so. Uh, I don't. No, they're not blindfolded. No. They're not blindfolded? No. Oh, okay. No. But they wouldn't know that you're. Uh, yeah, it's 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 anyway. It's all it's a they have they have this worked out, and different facilities have their own way of doing it. But anyway, it's a fascinating it's a fascinating uh, thing. Um, certainly not for the faint of heart. I mean, because at the end of the day, an animal's life is being taken, and uh, you know that's there's no, there's no non messy way to do that. It just it, it, it's a lot of blood. Okay. Anyway, as you can imagine. Um, but let's focus on the. Torah's description of this. Let's get back inside. But these, here we go, these you shall not eat among those that bring up the cud and those that have a cloven hoof. In other words, there are some animals that have one but not the other and those animals are not kosher. It's not either or, it's both. It has to both have split hooves and have and chew its cud. So here we go. So here are animals that have one and not the other, therefore they're not kosher. The camel, because it brings up its cud but does not have a completely cloven hoof, it is unclean for you. So the camel is no good. Camel's not kosher. And the hyrax, because it also brings up its cud, but it but will not have a completely cloven hoof. It is unclean for you. Unclean here means not kosher. You can touch it, it's fine. It's just it's just not uh, not kosher. And the hair. And the hair. Because it brings up its cud, but does not have a completely cloven hoof, it is unclean for you. So we have three examples: the camel, the hyrax, and the hair. Those three have one sign, not the other. They both, they, all three chew their cud, but don't have split hooves, not kosher. And finally, the pig. The pig is number four, but the pig has the other way around. The pig has a cloven hoof that is completely split, 
Okay, but it will not regurgitate its cud. It doesn't chew its cud. Therefore, it is unclean for you. It's not kosher. So the pig is the opposite. And I, I, I know I talked about this last year. Um, that that's why the pig gets such a bad rap as being a pig. Why? Like it's, it's just it's so many. Most animals are not kosher. Why the pig? Why is the pig associated with like such like trait? Like it's so. It's like the epitome of not kosher is the pig. Why? Most animals are not kosher, right? And they, and and we don't. You know, so there's a Rashi on this also, but the, the core idea here is that, you know, when it comes to the pig, it has one sign and not the other, and the sign that it has, the kosher sign that it does possess, is the split hooves. And the way the, the pig lies down is it kind of sticks out its, uh, its hooves. Almost like it's saying, although we're not attributing malicious intent, almost like it's saying, look at me, I'm kosher, right? Just don't ask me about my cud. That's a personal question. But look, I'm kosher, Right? And we have to know to not trust, you know, appearances. And that is kind of the lesson that we take from the pig or why the pig is the pig. The pig is the pig. And, and the, 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 the bad rap of the pig is not because it's not kosher, but because it almost seems like it's mis- misrepresenting itself, which is what the pig-like attitude, or not attitude, the pig-like um, move is. Right? What does it mean to be a pig? I mean, there's many things that one could do to be called that, which is not, not a nice thing to call. We shouldn't be calling people names anyway. But like, what would be in that category of being a chazer means to misrepresent oneself, to put a halo right on, or as one somebody once said, to put lipstick on a pig, right? You put to, to make it seem like it's kosher when really it's not, which gets into a whole host of areas in Jewish law about not misrepresenting oneself, etc. Okay, so that's a little bit about... It's so interesting how it evolved because, like, you know, even those of us who didn't have all of this education, but we are instilled with that about the the pig, but we don't really know the reason. That the pig is like, oh, the worst. But it's really, halachically, it's not worse than any other animal, including the camel and the hyrax and the hare and the lion and the tiger and the bear and and the... most animals are not kosher, and there's it's nothing. Only, it's the only thing in the in the supermarket. I mean, we don't have all those other that's types true. of animals. Oh, that's true. Oh, that's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. Right, right. Because you have beef, you have chicken, lamb. which is kosher. You have lamb. lamb, which is kosher, right? And then you're right, you have pork, right? Correct. So maybe that's why it's like, yeah, okay, that's that's a valid reason why because it's the only other typical option, at least you know, and typical right. American supermarkets. Yeah, that's a good point. Fair. Horse would not be kosher, obviously. I mean, like you know, we don't we don't need these things. Um, anyway, okay. So back inside, let's let's check out some more ideas here. So you shall not eat. So the Torah says, verse eight: You shall not eat of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. In other words, if they die, if they died, you know, dead a dead non-kosher animal, avoid touching because they are unclean for you. And here it means it would render a person spiritually impure. And then one would have to become spiritually pure. Not through the red heifer like we spoke about last night. That's only coming in contact with the human body. This would be, you know, go to mikvah, whatever it is. Okay, now we're about to get to uh, like fish. But before we get to fish, I want to just jump on the juxtaposition here. Because I started off today's session talking about, you know, it's interesting because the first one, two, three, four, five, the first five readings talked about the inauguration of the, of the Mishkan and the tragedy that happened, and the aftermath of the tragedy, and now it's like, oh, let's talk about food. And it's like, what? Just such a clean break? Like, nothing happened? Like, just, let's, hey, what's what's for dinner? Like, let's talk about what you can eat. Like, why here? 
why now? I mean, the Torah doesn't have to follow chronological order. We would imagine that these laws were given well before. This is a year after the Exodus. This is um, Sivan, uh, Sivan. Talmud of El Tishri, Cheshvan, Kislev, Teve, Shvat, Adar. This is nine, ten months after Sinai, when they got the rules of kosher for the first time. So what, what did they eat for those first nine, ten months? They didn't know which animals? How, how can we conceive of such a thing? Surely they got these laws earlier, like right away, basically. Like Why, why is it put here? So, you know, not, not to say anything definitively or exclusively, but, you know, perhaps the way we've been explaining the story of the tragedy over the last few days um, it can, can maybe shed insight why, why it's important to talk about food here. Because what was the tragedy, right? And, and Joy mentioned this a few days ago, really beautifully, is that the tragedy was <coughs> essentially from a spiritual perspective that they didn't want to have anything to do with the physical universe. They, they wanted to disavow physical life, material existence. Mark, you're sideways. Oh, phew. I thought I was sideways for a second, right? So they, the people, welcome, the people, sorry, they, not of a view, they wanted to totally separate from physical existence and want, and they wanted a spiritual a soul-only existence and their souls literally left their bodies and, and they got what they wanted. And so maybe as a counterbalance for that perspective, we talk about food, right? It's like, okay, we're not supposed to leave. You got to eat, right? You got to eat like every Jewish mother. Like, you got to eat. Like, what is this? You got to, yeah, you're going on a trip, take some sandwiches. But it's a 30-minute trip. Take more sandwiches, right? You never know what can happen. So the idea here is food is the ultimate of grounding, right? Food is the ultimate grounding experience. It what it's well, I should say this very clearly. It's what literally strengthens the body, fuels the body. That a healthy body keeps the soul locked in. I think we spoke about this a few days ago, right? That life is the combination of body and soul. And in order for the soul to be held by the body, the body has to be strong enough to hold it. If when the body, God forbid, becomes too weak then it can no longer hold on to the soul. Then the soul, it's, it, the soul's inertia or the soul's whatever, gravitational pull is actually up. So for the soul to be down here in a physical space, it, it's only because the body holds on to it. When the body's grip loosens, the soul goes up. So if we don't feed the body, at some point, if a person doesn't eat, they're not going to live. That just At a certain point. You can't survive like that, and and the soul will leave the body because the body there's nothing to hold, there's nothing that's holding on to it anymore. So, on a very practical level, food represents the strength of the the strengthening of the body to hold the soul to keep the soul down here to do its mission on earth, which is the the antidote or the antithesis of what Nadav and Avihu wished as they left their body. So that's again one uh, understanding of maybe the diametric you know, the, the kind of the, the swing of this week's Torah portion where you have the ecstasy of these two, these, these two young men whose souls are swept away in spirituality. And then we talk about food because at the end of the day, we're meant to live a physical existence, not to the exclusion of spiritual um, uh, uh, import and spiritual purpose and spiritual, you know, impact, but we live physical lives. As long as we're here, we're meant to, to live that life. Yeah, Donna. So that made me think. So within our bodies, we have two dualistic things going on. We need to nurture our soul internally, but we need to keep in check our animal nature. Yes. There's a great Hasidic, there's a great, and we have to feed the body also on a practical level. We have to take care of ourselves. We have to be healthy. Um, There is a Hasidic saying in Yiddish that translates as a small hole in the body becomes a large hole in the soul. 
It obviously doesn't mean literally, but it means if we're, not, if, we're, if we're not taking care of the body, then at the end of the day, we're also neglecting the soul. There's just no way, because then, I mean, you need strength to study Torah, to do mitzvot, to, to make a difference in the world. You, you physically, need, you need to be strong, you need to be healthy. So taking care of our body is not just a selfish thing, it's, it's a higher thing. Which, by the way, in our meditation uh, from Sinai course, so we spoke about that in one of the lessons about like reframing material existence. Lesson five was about reframing the physical things that we do so that we're not just eating because we're hungry, but we're eating for a higher purpose. This is one way. I think we kind of backed into this idea today. We're at that same place. You know, another one of view, they didn't want to have anything to do with the body. So the Torah says, here's kosher food. Go, go eat something. Eat a sandwich. <laughs> Buy some sushi. Eat something. A hundred percent. Correct. Correct. And taking care of our bodies means the physical, which means also the emotional and the psychological, everything. Exactly. Look, we, we, we strive for alignment in all four levels. The physical, the emotional, the psychological, and the spiritual. That's the ideal, to get everything healthy and aligned. Okay, now back inside, let's talk about fish. And soon... Um, I'm going to share with you some insights into the various kosher signs of various types of creatures. But now, into the water. Let's uh, put on your scuba gear and join me. Among, verse 9, among all creatures that are in the water, okay, what, what's available? You may eat these. Any of the creatures in the water that has fins and scales, those you may eat, whether it lives in the waters, in the seas or in the rivers. So no matter what water source it comes from, as long as it has fins and scales, again, two signs, as long as it has fins and scales, it's kosher. So just like land animals, the signs of a kosher animal, the identification sign of a kosher animal um, was uh, uh, split hooves and chewing cod, chewing its cod. Uh, there are also visible signs for a kosher fish, fins and scales. But, verse 10, any creature Creatures that do not have fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, among all creeping, all the creeping creatures in the water, and among all living creatures that live in the water, right? Uh, anything in the water, no matter, does it swim? Does it crawl? Is it an alligator? Is it a turtle? Is it a, is it, it doesn't matter. If it's in the water, but it doesn't have fins and scales, it's not kosher. Not only not kosher, sheketz heim lachem. They, these things, are an abomination for you. It's not only not kosher, it's a little gross. It's a little gross. And they shall be an abomination for you. Double, God is doubling down on this. You shall not eat of their flesh, and, once again, their dead bodies you shall not hold in, oh, sorry, you shall hold in abomination. You should be like, ooh, gross. Okay, now, obviously, it's God's creature. We probably shouldn't say gross, but it means at least we should not be um, going after it to eat it. So thus, we have here, oh, and, and let's just continue. And by the way, it seems like this is very much repetitive, but each, each iteration, of course, there are layers of additional laws that the Talmud will, will unfold for us if we would study the Talmud on this. Any creature that does not have fins and scales in the water, you guessed it, is an abomination for you. So how many times do I say the word abomination? We have right here, one, two, three, Four. Within the span of three verses, 10 through 12, we have the word sheketz, 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 tishaketsu, and sheketz. We have that four times. Four times abomination. Clearly, God has uh, 
cast his vote for what type of fish we should be eating. Now, what does this include? What does this exclude? So of course, fins and scales. So fish that are like that are sa salmon, carp, trout, um, the gefilte. What else? That was a joke. One minute, one minute, one minute. Right? So gefilte, of course, is not actually, is not actually a fish. It's a combination of fish. You have, um, what are, what are, what are who's, who, who knows fish here? Mark, you, you fish. Give me some kosher yeah. fish. What are some names of kosher fish? Whoa. Cock. Which, cod. Cod. Crappie, crab, snapper, uh, grouper. There you go. Pike. Done. A lot more. Lapia. Tilapia. Ooh, tilapia. By the way, there's also, what's that really good fish? It's a bit expensive. Chilean sea bass. Yes. Chilean sea bass is kosher. By the way, I've seen pictures of Chilean sea bass. It's a very uh, interesting looking fish. They called it Chilean sea bass, but it looks like a monster fish or something. Yeah, legit. I, Google that is stuff. It? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Chile You're thinking of a, you must be thinking of a monkfish. Honestly, I, I'm really not, um, well, I'm really not, uh, you know, Patagonian toothfish. Is that the same thing? Are we going to tour the top sushi spots in Crown Heights? By the way, Crown Heights has some incredible sushi places. Are you kidding me? Crown Heights. Okay. So let's just, you know what? We're talking about food. Let's just dump, jump all the way in. Okay. We're doing this now. Friends, in May, is it May? 13, May 13. May 13, we have something called Shabbat in the Heights. Okay, Shabbat in the Heights is exactly what it sounds like. A weekend in Crown Heights with yours truly. Leah and I will be there, please God. And it's going to be, oh, Shabbat in the Heights. We have a tab on our website. Seriously, folks. Oh, why is it? Oh, I got to change this. It's called New Page. Eh, we got we to give a name here. Shabbat in the Heights. Um, okay, excuse me for this link because I'm going to change it because I don't like the way that it appears. But if you want to know what I'm talking about, I'll give you something to talk about right there. Boom. You click on that link and it should take you to the Shabbat on the Heights page. Shabbat on the Heights is going to be a party. It's Shabbat on Crown Heights. You get a taste of the flavor of, you know, Chabad headquarters, HQ, oh, top speakers and delicious meal and walking tours and restaurants and a whole weekend together. Like it doesn't get any better than that. So. Join us for that, number one. Number two, sushi places and Crown Heights. Here's what you need to know about Crown Heights. Crown Heights became, in the last, look, we, we moved from Crown Heights. We, used to, we, were, we lived there for a few years before we got to Atlanta. So it's been like 15, 16 years or so since we were there. In, the la, in, the, in that time period, Crown Heights has become one of the kosher, foodie, like, um, places, like go-to places in New York City. It used to be like Manhattan, and then of course there's like Flatbush and Borough Park and other areas in like Long Island. And I'm telling you, Crown Heights now has some of the top kosher restaurants in the city, right? And people come from Manhattan to Brooklyn to Crown Heights, they take the three train right outside Eastern Parkway, boom, right there, there are tremendous restaurants. I'm talking about meat restaurants, dairy restaurants, vegetarian restaurants, bakeries, sushi places, like you name it, Crown Heights has got it. There's dozens of restaurants there. It's a small community, but man, oh man, Ashevitz, there's this place. If you like meat, oh, it's called Boof and Bun. This you will go crazy in this place. It is like off the hook, amazing. All right, enough about food. Let's get back to the food. Yes. I don't, 
They have on their website, the MIJI, the 29th, the last one, the 2019 schedule. And from my reading of what they say, they might not put the schedule up like till the week before. I mean, if the, if you have any sway, if you can try to, if because you know, like I want to tell my brother when he should come. I'll I'll see. Yeah, let me let me work on that. It's a good heads up. I'll see what I can do as far as getting that a little bit tied down as far as what what actually is the program. Yeah, right. that's a good point. All right, let's jump back in. Let's talk about, so that's um, fish, right? We talked about fish. I think we talked about fish. Um, oh, that's the tab for Shabbat Nights. Back here. So, um, oh, one second, one second. We're talking about fish. And so what, we got into sushi and the restaurants and the Nights. What fish do not have fish in scales? Tons of fish. Um, eels and jellyfish. I don't know if anyone eats jellyfish. Right? Fish. Huh? Trigger fish. What is that? Trigger fish. Trigger fish? It's a saltwater fish, yeah. There you go. It does not have fins and scales? <laughs> it's a gun that swims. Yeah, it exactly. Looks, it looks like it dies, but it's got, to eat, you have to skin it. I don't think it has scales. No scales. Okay. And then, of course, you have like the, the crabs and the lobsters and other dolphins. sea creatures like that and yeah. dolphins and sharks and uh, yeah, whatever. Right? So all the sea stuff that doesn't have fins and scales, off the table, so to speak, kosher-wise, it is not. Now, when I was in yeshiva, true story, so we, we wanted to have fish in our dorm room. And this is in New Jersey, by the way. I mentioned New Jersey. It all comes together. So we were in Morristown. We had our dorm room, a great group of guys. And we're like, let's get fish. Oh, keep us company. It's a cool thing. We'll have fish. And I'm trying to remember which ones we end. We wanted to get sharks, like little baby sharks. Baby sharks. Me, baby sharks. This is before the baby shark song. Baby shark, do, 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 do. This is before the baby shark song, but we still wanted baby sharks. Two different things. There's a song and then the actual sharks. But the store would not sell us the sharks because they said the sharks, the baby sharks, need a very special environment. It's got to be heated. They're like, well, what are you, what are you putting them into? And we're like, I don't know, water. <laughs> They're like, no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. You're going to kill the fish. We're not going to. So we're like, okay, so what is a cool looking fish? Because we wanted a cool looking fish. What is a cool looking fish that would survive with basic maintenance? <laughs> Yeshiva student maintenance, that level of, not an aquarium. So we ended up with these, um, they were blue. They were really beautiful. They were blue. And what kind of fish were they? I used to remember the name of the fish. Was it beta? Beta fish. Yes. How did you know that? It's crazy. Yes, they're they were beta fish. Yes, they were beta fish, 100%. And they were great. They lasted. Yeah, they, they survived pretty long. We, we took care of them, though. Like, we didn't, we were not mean with the fish. Why would we be? That would be crazy. We were very... Very attentive to the fish's needs. But we didn't have a heated... They breathe, well, they breathe air, too. Apparently. I don't know. No, they do. <laughs> oh, do they? Okay. They do. Oh, you're saying it's hard, it's, hard to, uh, it's hard to, like, mess it up. Is that what you mean? Yeah, because they can actually... I think in, the, in Thailand, whatever, they're found, like, next to puddles. They may be in the water or slightly out, maybe gasping for air. I once had one jump out of an aquarium. I think, it was only, I think it was outside the aquarium, maybe two hours, three hours. Wow. And it lifts. Yeah. Wow. But anyway, too. so yeah. we, we had betta fish. I guess it's, it's I guess, yeah, it's like a colorful fish, so it kind of looks interesting, but it's pretty, pretty basic as far as maintenance, like pretty straightforward. Can't mess this up. Anyway, but we were very good with the fish. 
but it just brings back memories. Um, I was actually speaking this morning with one of my old buddies from Yeshiva in Maristown, so it all comes together. It's amazing. All right, so the fish that are kosher, I don't, beta fish are not kosher. There are no scales on that thing. Um, so fins and scales are the two signs. By the way, the no, Talmud says... Beta does have scales. Beta has scales? Scales. Tiny, but the scales... Are you sure? I don't I remember scales on that thing. I just remember it being blue and fluffy. Pretty sure. All right. We'll have to go to the videotape. But here's what I want to say. The Talmud says, whatever has scales has fins. So really, you only have to look for one of the two signs. That's, really, that's the yeah. truth. Oh, scales. Scales. Because if it has scales, it, there, it, there is no fish that has scales but not fins. Now, the other way around, there are many fish that have fins but not scales. So, but if you find scales, you're pretty much good to go. That's just a uh, rule of thumb. You know how before we were saying how pork became, you know, the boogeyman. So also growing up when you didn't have this formal education, I mean, for, we basically said shellfish. We didn't really. Right, right, the... right, right. And shellfish would be an example of, of not yeah. fins, not scales. Right, right. But it's no yeah. less not kosher than any other fish that wouldn't have uh, fins or scales. I know, we didn't. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just right. All that distinction. Correct, yeah. right. So I'm just clarifying, right? I, I know you're clarifying. Yeah. I was also thinking it was like uh, bottom feeders, like catfish. Yes. And shellfish, they they eat the bottom too. So. Right. It's interesting. It's interesting because the Torah doesn't give that rationale, but some commentaries, and I'm talking about like legit commentaries, like Ramban Nachmanides explains. You know what? If I'm right by a library. Are you going to tell us which library you're in? Or is it top secret? I'm in my library. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Nice. My home library. So take, I'm going to read to you, if I can find this. What is that, the, the gray? It looks like a cyclopedia underneath. Yeah. It's, it's the Talmud. That's the, so a lot of different uh, books. Tractates, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tractates, so. Oh, yeah. So um, I believe it's the Ramban, Nachmanides, who explains that, where are we here? I believe he explains that the reason that, that part of the fish thing is because, is because they are bottom feeders, because they eat things that are not, uh, huh? Can't be. What a can't be? Bottom, a carp is a scavenger and a bottom feeder. Maybe he doesn't say bottom feeder, but it may, maybe he says they eat unhealthy things. Give me well, a second. A a fish. Oh, fish. whoa, slow it down. That's why I don't eat it. That, it yeah. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on one second. Guys, right here. Ramban, right here. Okay? I mean, it's in Hebrew. You're not... The reason for the for the scales and the fins, or the, the fins and the scales, because those fish that have fins and scales are always at the top of the water. Mark, Marcus, 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 fact checking us. One second. No, I, not true. Time out. I'm just reading you the Ramban. One second. And Uvitzlulein, and maybe in their shade, Vikablu Gidobaver, and they get more oxygen, Hanechnasham, which goes there to the top, the higher part of the water. And therefore they're a little bit warm. 
ולכן יש בהם קסס חיים, דויכה מהם שפס הלכס, שיעשה עצמם ועשה So it's at the top of the water, which is healthier. And the ones that, are, the ones that don't have fins and scales, they dwell at the bottom of the water. And he gets into something biological. Because of the heat or the cold, it, it, um, it, it, it doesn't purge its toxins. He was not a, he was not a fisherman. Listen. I, 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 I hear you. I, mean, I, can, I can tell you. I can tell you that if you want to get a snapper or a grouper or any of those fish, they're not at the top of the water. They're at the bottom. It could be. It could be that where Nachmanides lived, maybe right. they didn't have those types there. Maybe. Of years ago. Maybe, maybe things evolved, right? Maybe things evolved a little bit. Who knows? But it's fascinating. What we see here is something interesting. What we see here is that the Torah just, the Torah just tells us, here's the law. And then you have commenters that try to give a rationale. The danger of that, as we're seeing today, is that once you start giving a reason, somebody might say, and accurately, mm, I don't know about that reason. So that's why typically the sages were a little hesitant to give reasons, but although it seems like he's very confident here. Now, here's the thing. This is, again, the Ramban, so he's, he's no small potatoes. Um, I didn't study this in context. I remember, I remember that he did comment about the health of these fish or lack of health of those other fish. Um, and I just pulled out a quick excerpt on the, you know, just in live, in, in real time. So please don't, don't, uh, don't let this become the full scope of Nachmanides. Please look it up in its entirety, in its original. Maybe it's on Safari. You can look up the whole thing. They may have a translation. I know Art Scroll put out a Ramban book in English. Maybe they have footnotes on it that, that could be explored further. But it's, it, is, it is an interesting take. It's also more, it could be a spiritual take, too. Like well, he's, he's, yeah, it could. But he, no, the way he talks about it is very, very um, biological. And also, this uh, Wikipedia here says that carp are bottom feeders, but only about half the time. So they feed all levels of the water. Well, what about birds? Is it the birds that are scavengers or not kosher? Yeah, that's is also. That, is that coincidental or it not? Ramban also, the same guy also speaks about that. He says that eating an animal that's a scavenger, a bird that's a scavenger, would inculcate the human biology with a with a scavenger type of uh, aggression, and we don't want that. So, yeah, he... Not a chicken. I don't think chickens are attacking anything. Yeah. At least the not when they're in the package. Oh, that was a bad joke. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Now, no, I'm pretty sure the birds that are not kosher are the ones that can, that can put their food in their claw or whatever and put that, put that food in their mouth from the claw. I don't know. So that's, that's, beyond, that's beyond my pay grade. That's scavenge. But in other words, the ones that actually have the talons, for example, can pick something up and put it in its mouth. Those are for sure not kosher. The ones that have a talus? Talon. Talon. <laughs> <laughs> if you see a bird with a talus, that would be next level. That might be a kosher bird. Um, or a bird pretending to be kosher. Never trust the... Uh, Never trust the crow. I think I told you guys there was once a, a crow or a raven or something outside my house. Very, very, very um, ominous to see. Not ominous like superstition, but like very, you know, you see like this big bird and you're like, you know, I'm going to move quickly into my house, actually. Let me take a quick run for that. All right. Back inside. I do want to kind of uh, finish up with the, with the birds. And um, 
Okay, we, we got some more details. We got birds and then we have uh, creeping creatures. Wow, there's still a lot to cover. Let, let's go as far as we can. I know we're right at the time, but we're going to go a little bit. Verse 13, and among birds, so we did land animals and fish, now birds. And among birds, you shall hold these in abomination. In other words, don't eat these. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination. Again, twice. Okay, we have the eagle or the griffin vulture, depending on who's translating it. The kite and the osprey, the kestrel, the vulture after its species, the raven after its species, speaking of which, the ostrich, the jay, and the sparrowhawk, and the ghost, goshawk after its species, the owl, the gull, and the little owl. Ah, oh, so cute. Little owls are cute. The bat, the starling, the magpie, although, um, oh, the bat. There we go. Yeah. No corona there. The stork, the heron after its species, the hoopoe, and the atalef. Maybe that's another form of bat. Any flying ins insect. So all those are not kosher. Any flying insect that walks on four. A flying insect that walks on four. I'm thinking like a fly or something like that, right? Is an abomination for you. No eating flies. However, among all the flying insects that walk on four legs, Here's the exception. You may eat from those that have jointed leg-like extensions above its regular legs with which they hop on the ground, which is basically like certain types of locusts. From this locust category, you may eat the following. The red locust after its species, the yellow locust after its species, the spotted gray locust after its species, and the white locust after its species. And I know what you're thinking. How come I've never heard that locusts are kosher? Or maybe like, why aren't we eating locusts? And the answer is because, although the Torah says certain types of locusts are kosher, we know rabbinically that it's only if you have a clear tradition about a certain type of locust. And although at some point there was a tradition, at another point in history, that tradition got lost, and at this point, we would be making it up based on someone's translation here, which does not seem like an accurate way of following the law. But any other flying insect that has four legs is an abomination for you. By the way, there are some communities, like in Yemen, etc., there are some communities that do have a tradition about which locusts they can eat, and they do, and some do. All right, next. Um, and through these... Uh, let's see if we can make a, a, a run to the end. And through these, verse 24, and through these you will become unclean. Anyone who touches their dead bodies will be unclean until evening. So if you touch, you don't need a red heifer, you just, uh, just until evening. If you touch the dead body of any of these non-kosher animals, birds, fish, creepy, crawly things, whatever, and insects, and anyone who carries their carcass shall immerse his garments and he shall become unclean until evening. Any animal that has a cloven hoof that is not completely split and which does not bring up its cod. Oh, so right, any non-kosher animal, etc., uh, um, essentially is unclean for you. Anyone who touches them shall become unclean. And that's referring to, of course, a dead body. Not, not just if you touch a, you know, a goat or you, a, I'm not goats or kosher, touch a lion, although I don't know if I recommend that, but that doesn't render impurity. It's only if they're dead. And among all animals that walk on four legs, any animal that walks on its paws is unclean for you. Right, so like a bear, a dog, a cat, not a kosher animal. Anyone who touches their carcass will be unclean until evening. And one who carries their carcass shall immerse his garments and it will be unclean, be unclean until evening. They are unclean for you. And this is unclean for you among creeping creatures that creep on the ground. The weasel, the mouse, and the toad after its species, the hedgehog, the chameleon, the lizard, the snail, and the mole. 
These are the ones that are unclean for you among all creeping creatures. Anyone who touches them when they are dead will be unclean until evening. So again, we try to avoid touching animals that are dead, that are not kosher. And if any of these dead creatures fall upon anything, so if any of these dead creatures aforementioned, whether they're animals or birds or fish or creepy crawlies, so, and they, they're dead and they fall on, on something else, it will become unclean. That thing also becomes unclean. Whether it is a wooden vessel, a garment, a hide or a sack, any vessel with which work is done, you know, any vessel, it falls into, it touches a plate, it touches a cup, whatever it is, that becomes impure as well. It shall be immersed in water, but it will mean mikvah, but will remain unclean until evening, and then it will become, I added the word then, and it will become clean when evening, when night falls. Okay, I know I, I, we ran through that. Maybe tomorrow we'll kind of pick that, some of those pieces up, but I just want to make sure to, to finish reading it so that at least we had a clean break. Um, there is insight, which I don't, we don't really have time to get into right now, but there is insight, and maybe I'll do a few of them very quickly, into the kosher signs of an animal that kind of correlated to human beings and what's kosher for a human being. So the sign of a kosher animal, two signs of a kosher animal are split hooves and chewing its cud. Likewise, with we are what we eat. So if that's what makes an animal kosher and we eat that, so then that means that those are traits that we're supposed to have within us, split hooves and chewing cud. Split hooves means that we shouldn't be locked into any one direction. We should be able to go this way or that way. We should have the ability to be a little flexible in life. Flexibility is a good thing. Split hoof means there's a right side, there's a left side. We're not unidirectional, we're, we're multifaceted. That's a good trait in life. To be open to other ideas, to be flexible, to be able to do something that we're not comfortable with, that we're not used to, because the situation demands. So instead of being monolithic, we have at least two options. Right, left with the split hoof. Chewing cud means that before we speak, before we decide, we think about it and maybe regurgitate it, so to speak, not literally regurgitate an idea. We think about it, we mull it over in our minds, and only then do we produce our thoughts and our actions in this world. Having gone through that process of digesting and thinking it over a few times, then that ensures that what we say or what we do is indeed what we really want and what the world wants and what is true to our purpose. So those are signs about um, the kosher animals, about fish, scales and fins, so scales means that we have integrity, fins means ambition. We have to have both integrity and ambition. But the first quality is, integri is integrity. Many people, I said, have fins but no scales. Many people that have ambition, fins propel you forward, right? Shoo, the fish is flying. Many people have an immense drive and motivation. But the scales, the armor, the protection, the, the integrity, the shield of integrity is not up. And people do many corrupt things to achieve high goals and lofty goals. Well, that, that's, but that's not a kosher fish. What makes a fish kosher, and we are what we eat, what makes us kosher is um, scales, uh, fins and scales. Scales are key. We have to have integrity, true to our values. Don't sell out. Don't cut corners. Don't uh, compromise you know, your values. And then you need motivation and ambition and drive to get there, but not at the expense of your, your scales. All right, that's it for today. Thank you for joining. Uh, don't forget, tonight is the Joy Factory, intownjewishacademy.org, not .com, intownjewishacademy.org slash joy. Join us. It's going to be amazing. 8 p.m. tonight with Mrs. Razel Schusterman. Okay, we'll see you then, hopefully. See you tomorrow at noon. Take care. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Dashkova. Thank you.